Certainly exciting to be uh, here in front of you. Uh, uh, another college football season is uh, upon us, and um, we certainly have picked uh, a great matchup. Um, LSU and Florida State, top 10 matchup in, in week one. That's right, Coach. We are going to break down Florida State LSU here on Always College Football. We appreciate you coming to us from wherever it is you're coming to us from. I ask you to continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast. doesn't matter where it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. It means a lot to us, and it helps the show out an awful lot. And tell your friends, too. Word of mouth is massive. We have a great show in store for you today. Y'all, we, we subscribe to the idea that I want to break these games down from every possible angle. We're going to do seven, eight games a week where we just dive way deep in the weeds. We're going to get you prepared. I can promise you, listen to this show, you will be as educated as you possibly be about players, matchups, games, lines. This is what we do. And this is what we live for. We got some great ones to break down for you. Tennessee, Virginia. Going to talk about Joe Milton's debut as... Well, I guess it's not a debut. He's been a day one starter before, but now he's really thrust into the role. How will he look? Prime era gets underway on the road in Fort Worth against a team that played in the national championship. Boise State and Washington. Can Boise be the giant killer yet again? How about West Virginia, Penn State? Penn State, real national championship aspirations. What will we be looking for to make sure that we believe in that national championship chase that I think has a chance to be very, very real? North Carolina, South Carolina, I'm on the call for that one. We'll break that one down extensively. And of course, last but certainly not least, Florida State and LSU, we're going to fill it up when it comes to the Sunday night thriller there on ABC. And then there's a bunch of games that aren't going to be crazy competitive, teams that we have high hopes for, and things that we want to watch with each one of those games. We'll hit Oklahoma, we'll hit UCLA, we'll hit Alabama, we'll hit Ohio State, we'll hit all the usual suspects, Georgia. So we'll be watching some of those things closely. I'll tell you what you need to be watching so that those teams can ultimately reach their full potential. So without much further ado, let's dive in. We got some breakdowns for you. Let's get things kicked off in the prime era at Colorado taking on the defending national champion runner-ups. The TCU Horn Frog should be an exciting one. A couple of keys in this game. We'll get to the personnel in just a minute. But a couple of keys in this game. One, weather. 101 at kickoff in Fort Worth on Saturday afternoon slash morning. It's 11 o'clock when they kick things off there on Fox. That's going to have an impact on a Colorado team that is relatively thin. Now, TCU's been practicing that. It's been unreasonably hot here in the South over the last couple weeks. Camps everywhere have been brutal. I know it's been relatively warm in Colorado as well, but creating that heat and adversity is almost impossible to do. I would expect TCU to come out and go hyperspeed tempo to challenge the game shape that Colorado's in. That's one thing to be mindful of. Nothing to do with the X's and the O's, but something to also watch there as we lead into the game. The other thing too, and this is a direct quote from Sonny Dykes. Quote, typically you watch game film from last year, but I haven't watched one Colorado game. End quote. Obviously, we know why. There's very little carryovers, new staff, new players. Pretty much everything about Colorado this year is new. But how do you prepare for this game if you're TCU? Are you chasing ghosts basically the entire week of prep? Probably. If you read some of the things that Chandler Morris has said, if you read some of the things that Sonny Dykes has said, you read some of the things that Kendall Bryles has said, 
they're basically saying we've watched 37 different games. And that's not an exaggeration. That's the actual number of games that they've watched in order to prepare for this game. They've watched Jackson State. They've watched Alabama. That's where the defensive coordinator is from. They've watched Kent State. That's where the offensive coordinator is from. So there's a lot, I think, that is kind of on Colorado's side as far as the element of surprise. Now, will it matter? I don't know. But I do think this is going to be a game that comes down to adjustments made in-game once you get a beat on what the team is doing across from you. We kind of know who TCU is. Defense, a lot of carryover. Offense, new OC, but the offense is going to remain the same. Chandler Morris is excellent. They got a lot of good quality transfers. The depth is pretty good. This offense is going to score. I feel very good about that. I'm not concerned that much about the defense. To be honest with you, I think they're going to be pretty good on that side of the ball. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time in this breakdown of TCU. If they do what they're supposed to do, they'll take care of business. Simple as that. Colorado is one of the biggest question marks I've ever seen. I've been doing this since my 10th year. I have never seen a question mark that's this significant. When you have 86 new players and only 10 scholarship carryovers from the year before, how the heck am I supposed to project anything on what you are, both offensively and defensively? Offensively, I know your your OC is Sean Lewis. I know at Kent State, they're going to run tempo. You know, at Kent State, they're going to have three wide receivers, one tight end, and they're going to try to go a million miles an hour. I know they're going to use a lot of run-pass options. Shador Sanders excelled with run-pass options when he was at Jackson State. So for over 7,000 yards in his career. And I think one thing that people don't realize about Shador Sanders is he's not crazy mobile. He only rushed for 100 yards in, in his time at Jackson State. So he's a guy that wants to live in the pocket and distribute accordingly. A wide receiver, two guys we need to know. Jimmy Horn, transferred from South Florida, really good player, probably going to be their top threat, went for over 550 last year on an offense that really was had, having some ups and downs. And Travis Hunter, the two-way player, can he play two ways in 101-degree heat? That's something to be mindful of. At running back, Dylan Edwards is kind of a small, undersized guy, but was a highly regarded guy. And I just saw this a moment ago, Alton McCaskill, the transfer from Houston, probable in the game, but coming back from an injury, how much will he really be able to go? The biggest question, though, for Colorado is going to be their offensive line in the trenches, really on both sides. They had a huge loss when NCAA ruled Tyler Brown ineligible. He was an FCS All-American. And then there's two other offensive linemen that transferred from Kent State to go to Colorado with Sean Lewis, but are they capable of playing against a TCU team that's going to get after you quite a bit? Uh, defensively, Charles Kelly, he's from Alabama, been at Florida State, great coach, really good coach, really good recruiter. He's going to try to heat you up. And he's got two excellent corners, Travis Hunter on one side, Cormani McLean on the other. Maybe Cormani McLean a little young, a little light, maybe not quite as strong as he needs to be at t- in time, but he's got good cover skills. So that's one thing to watch, but this thing should be pretty interesting I think everybody in the college football world is fascinated by what they're going to see. Going up against TCU and Colorado is Virginia and Tennessee. A couple matchups that I'm looking at in this game. Tennessee's a heavy favorite. They should win the game comfortably. But here's what I will be focusing on. I want to see Malik Washington. That's a wide receiver slot receiver for UVA against Tamarian McDonald. They're in the slot. The nickel defender there for the volunteers. Now, Washington... Tony Musket, new quarterback for UBA. This is really the only guy that has crazy college experience. He was at Northwestern, transferred, had 120 career receptions, 1,350 yards. And I think when you look at what he did at times last fall, he developed into a pretty dang good go-to guy. Had almost 700 yards just last year by himself. So I'll be watching that. And then when you look at McDonald, decent year last year, uh, 
But now as a cover guy, is he going to be able to take the next step? The other thing I'm looking at, we know that this is something we've talked about all offseason. Corners and secondary for Tennessee. That group needs to collectively improve drastically. So I'm going to be looking at the perimeter. UVA wide receiver Malachi Fields. His best game ever was the most recent game. So maybe I'm a little bit of a prisoner of the moment, but he had five catches for 58 and a touchdown. And what I like most is his size. He's got good length. He's six foot four, 220 pounds. So he has a pretty significant size advantage over some of the guys he's going to be going against. Now, looking at Tennessee, they're probably going to roll their corners and figure out exactly who's up. You got Kamal Haddon, Danico Slaughter. Uh, you also have Warren Burrell and the transfer from BYU who does have adequate length at 6'2 or so. That's Gabe Judy Lolly. So I'll be watching that matchup on the perimeter there. That's when UVA's offense is on the field going against Tennessee's defense. Of course, like we've talked all year, what will Tennessee's secondary look like? I'm also really interested in watching Tennessee's offensive line. Now, Tennessee's offensive line was given a bit of a gift. Chico Bennett is out for Virginia. He was their best player as far as pushing and getting into the backfield and being relatively disruptive. And now stepping into that job has been Smiley. This is a good opportunity for him because when you think about what Bennett was, I mean, Bennett had seven and a half tackles for loss. Uh, so he's had seven sacks. I mean, he's got quite a bit that he needs to try to replace and it won't be easy. And you're going against some tackles that are a relative question mark. Now, John Campbell transferred from Miami. He'll lock down the left side. He should be really good. There have been rave reviews coming out of camp. They think he's in a good spot to secure Joe Milton's blind side. The other guy is Jeremiah Crawford. He's on the right side. So he started six games last year, played in 10, gave up just one sack. So he should be in pretty good shape there on the right side, but still relatively inexperienced when it comes to being the guy out there on the perimeter. And then the wild card in the bunch is Gerald Mincy, who played left and wouldn't switch from left to right because he saw himself as a back as a left tackle, but would rather be a backup than a starter. Who knows? Either way, maybe he finds his way into the rotation a little bit at right tackle as well. But I'm looking at the edge defender, Ben Smiley, specifically for, for Virginia, working against those tackles that might be rolling a little bit there early on. The other things I'm looking at, just two more things, Brew McCoy, Dante Thornton, Squirrel White, and Ramel Keaton working against UVA secondary. Now, Ventral Cypress left, went to Florida State. There's still some decent players there in the back end for Virginia. But is Dante Thornton as advertised? Everyone's saying he's the next Jalen Hyatt. I got to see it to believe it, but I am a believer in the fact that he's 6'5", 200, and they've been running, supposedly, he ran 23 and a half or 24 on the catapult GPS, miles an hour, that is. So supposedly the guy could flat out fly and has great length to transfer from Oregon. So I'll be watching him closely. Brew McCoy. He's probably going to fill that same role as he did last year. Very strong, very physically gifted wide receiver. Not crazy burner top end speed, but very reliable, very sure-handed, and will be that reliable piece there on third down when you have to get an extended third, when you want to extend the drive and you need to convert. And then I'll be looking at who gets the first crack at it. Squirrel White, who everybody loves, got great quickness, got great acceleration, but I think Ramel Keaton's very underappreciated. Nobody talks about him. Because, you know, the name Squirrel White, everyone wants to talk about that. But Ramel Keaton's rock solid. I think he's dependable. I think he's exactly where he needs to be when he runs his route. He gets his depth when he runs his route. I think Joe Milton will trust him. Got some looks there in the Orange Bowl as well. So I'll be keeping a close eye on the receiver core and what the pecking order looks like. But most notably, 
on Dante Thornton there, the newcomer. And then finally, Tennessee's pass rush. We'll really be watching this closely. Roman Harrison, uh, Romeo, uh, Roman Harrison, excuse me, playing the Leo position. So going to be watching him a little bit. And then Tyler Barron, Dominic Bailey at their traditional defensive end spot. So those are the spots I'm looking at. And then the second level defenders as well, Aaron Beasley, who I've talked about all offseason. I think the guy's the real deal. And he's got all SEC potential. And then finally at 3.30 on ABC, Boise State traveling to Washington. Now, what we have not talked a lot about in the last couple of weeks are the new clock rules. So for those that are unaware, the clock will run from basically the first 28 minutes of the ballgame. So the whole first quarter, it's not going to stop on first downs. It's going to roll. All right. So it'll be like an NFL type of clock until the final two minutes. And then it reverts back to college style clock management. Same can be said in the second half. First 28 minutes. NFL, last two minutes, college. So I'm actually in favor of the rule. I think it's good. There's eight less snaps per game. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're taking football away from us. I don't see it that way. It does limit snap exposures. And it does, I think, play into the hands of a team that's a three yard and a cloud of dust type of team that wants to take the air out of the football. And that's exactly what Boise State is. Now we know that Boise State really starting probably about the midway point of the San Diego State game last year, they basically decided, hey, man, we're, we're good ground upon attack. I mean, we're just going to we're going to mow people over and we're going to try to run the ball. We're going to take the air out of the football and we're going to do the best we can to control the line of scrimmage, which I think is rock solid. But here's what I would say. I mean, they averaged well over 200 yards per game last year and they have a bunch of really quality running backs led by George Halani, who is excellent. Eleven hundred yard back from last year. But their quarterback, Taylor Green, who's also very, very gifted and very athletic in his own right. And naturally, you're probably not going to be able to adequately defend Washington. Your best defense might be your ground control. And the fact that you keep Michael Penix and company and that ridiculously deep group of wide receivers, keeping them on the sidelines. So I think it is paramount that Washington's front seven defensively, and we know Washington where their weaknesses were last year, they were in the back end and giving up big plays through the air. The front seven's rock solid, and they should be again this year, led by Braylon Trice there on the edge and the big bodies on the inside of that defensive line. But they are going to have an all-points bulletin on them because they got to get off the field, and they have to force Taylor Green to become more of a passer than they would like him to be. As far as the other side of the ball, you know what I'll be watching. <laughs> Michael Penix... He's an all-star. I mean, we're talking about the second best offense in America last year, 516 yards a game offensively. That was second in college football behind Tennessee. Michael Penix, obviously back, counted for 35 touchdowns last year. And what's remarkable, he had the same amount of touchdowns in four years at Indiana as he did last year, and twice as many as his previous career high. That was in 2020 when he threw for 16. So he was playing unconscious football last year. He's got unbelievable supporting cast. I don't think I need to tell everybody about Rome. Adunze, a guy's unbelievable, went for over 1,100 last year. Then you got Jalen McMillan, went for almost 1,100, 1098 to be exact. They're the only two. There's only one other team in college football that had 2,000-yard receivers last year, and that was Ohio State. Don't sleep on Washington's weapons. And then no one talks about Polk, but he's legit as well. Went for nearly 700 in his own right in that tertiary role. And then the final guy I'll be watching for them offensively. Dylan Johnson transferred from Mississippi State. I think this kid is really good. Now, nobody really knows a whole lot about him. 
because he was second in line behind Woody Marks at Mississippi State last year. And to be honest with you, he wasn't a perfect fit for the air raid that they ran in Starkville. He's a downhill, go-get-it type of back. I think he's going to have a huge year for Washington this year, especially now knowing, unfortunately, that Cam Davis is lost for the season, but replacing Wayne Talapapa is not going to be easy. But I really believe this. I really think Dylan Johnson can fill that void admirably. So I like Washington to take care of business in this game if they can get off the field and limit Boise State's rushing attack to under 150 yards. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Hey, college football fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret that will help you win game days this season. Eckrich smoked sausage. You're probably asking yourself, Greg, could it be that easy? Absolutely it is. Eckrich smoked sausage is crafted with a perfect medley of spices for a truly rich, savory taste. They are delicious all by themselves or in any recipe you can dream up. If the word recipe sounds like a lot of work, don't worry. Visit Eckrich.com for dozens of simple mouthwatering recipes, making your tailgate prep a stress-free event. So there you go. Eckrich smoked sausage is the secret to winning game days. You can thank me later. Visit Eckrich.com for more. Let's get to the night slate now where we take the first look at NBC Sports coverage of Big Ten football. Can't wait to watch it. Todd Blackledge, Noah Eagle on the call, going to be awesome. And I know that West Virginia, everyone's kind of kicking them right now. Everyone's saying they can't get it done. Everybody's saying that they're one of the worst teams in the Big 12. I don't subscribe to that theory. Now, are they going to beat Penn State? I don't see that happening. Full disclosure. But I think there are some things, just the football gods have a way of overcorrecting from one year to the next. And last year... West Virginia was one of the worst teams in America as it relates to turning over the opponent. They had, they're one of just five FBS teams to force 10 or fewer turnovers in 2022. Central Michigan, Louisiana Monroe, Stanford, and Virginia Tech were the others. So clearly bottom dwellers for many of the aforementioned teams. I think these things have a way of overcorrecting. If they can somehow find a way to start turning people over, they can be disruptive, but it's going to be obviously a, a difficult thing to do against a Penn State team that had a plus 12 turnover margin in 2022. That was the fourth best in the FBS. And the last time they had a mark like that in the last 20 years was in 2017. They were also plus 12 that year. And we all know that that was a pretty dang good Nittany Lions squad. So, Turnovers, I think, will be a big story in this game. If Penn State can force them and keep a clean sheet, this thing could get sideways. But if West Virginia can somehow improve on what they struggled with last year, then who knows, maybe they could make things a little uncomfortable for Penn State. The one player to watch, I think, for West Virginia is Devin Carter. He's a proven weapon at wide receiver, transfer from NC State, has nearly 2,000 career yards, and he is you know, one of the best in the entire Big 12 as far as proven production. The only guy with more yardage 
is Corey Gamage from UCF. So a guy that's played and has accumulated some production at this level, he's going to be the go-to guy more than likely for West Virginia. But for Penn State, which is where we're going to spend most of our time, naturally, I think they're a legitimate Big Ten national championship contender. I think they are. I really believe that. Now, we're going to learn a lot, but it might not be this week, but we'll be watching Drew Aller. Okay, how, how could we not? Since the second he stepped on campus, and I know, look, they haven't officially announced him as the starter. Let's let's hey let's let's get crazy for a moment. Can we get crazy? Drew Aller is going to be the starting quarterback for the Penn State Nittany Lions. And listening to James Franklin, Drew Aller did not turn the ball over until practice fourteen. Now I don't know if that's a bad thing for Penn State secondary, but I feel like that's a pretty talented group, but clearly something is working with his ball control and his development and his decision-making, which is huge because we know they can run the ball. And I actually am feeling more and more confident as we inch closer to this thing, getting kicked off for Penn state. I think they have a legitimate number one. We've been hearing so much positivity coming out of camp about Keandre Lambert Smith. I know Harrison Wallace will be a good secondary option as well. I like their tight ends, even though I still think you know, Fred Strange, probably the most underrated tight end. He's gone now, but man, he was awesome last year. I think they're pretty good as far as weapons are concerned. Some people have looked at him and said, yeah, I don't know. Who's their number one? Keandre Lambert Smith's their number one. And he's just absolutely oozing with confidence right now. And in the spring, he was issued a challenge. James Franklin said, hey, man, we need you to develop into the number one. Well, he has just completely solidified that this fall, has developed a great rapport with Drew Aller and will be featured in the plan on some deep shots, on some catch and runs, and on some things that'll work the middle of the field. So really like his potential and think he's got a chance to have a huge year this year. Was a little disappointed though to see that Landon Tangwell, uh, he decided to retire. Uh, that was disappointing. I mean, medical retirement, you hate to see that. He was the highest ranked recruit of the 2021 class. So really disappointed. So we'll be thinking about him and, and hopefully he can he can fill the void that football provided him there for a long time. But you know, J.B. Nelson, Drew Shelton, Caden Wallace, these are guys that, that have been kind of mentioned along this offensive line because I think that's where their bread's going to be buttered. Think about Michigan. Think about Ohio State. You think about what Penn State ultimately wants to do. They got to be really, really good along the offensive line, and there's a real chance, given a lot of the pieces that are back, that they could take a step forward up front along the line of scrimmage. And then defensively, look, they have one of the most talented defenses in the country. I mean, just sheer flat out talent. They have stars at all three levels, which is a great place to start. I will be watching two positions in particular very closely in this matchup. Not because they're going to determine the outcome of this game, but they might down the road just a little bit. I'm going to be watching the middle linebacker spot. And if you look at Tyler Elston, and then you have Kobe King. I'll be watching those two guys. Kobe King, they've been raving about him. Has he closed the gap? Could he maybe overtake Elston there, who's the incumbent there at the middle linebacker spot? I'll be watching that position closely. And then I'll be watching the defensive tackles. Now, they're a little bigger up front, but they do have to replace some guys that played a lot of football there in the trenches for the Nittany Lions. So it's going to be a great game. I think Penn State gets it done, but I wouldn't be shocked if that game's close there in the second half of that football game. Let's go next to North Carolina, South Carolina. Very much looking forward to being on the call for this one. I think it is arguably the best quarterback matchup of the weekend. We'll start with North Carolina. Drake May is phenomenal. Okay. Didn't play as well down the stretch, but we all know what Drake May is capable of. He's capable of elevating his play to a level that only Caleb Williams can match, which is saying an awful lot. And I think Drake May is going to have to do even more this year, which 
I know a lot of people might push back on that, but there is a pretty significant void right this instant at wide receiver as far as who their go-to guy is going to be. Now, Tez Walker, for those that have been following, he was ruled ineligible by the NCAA. Now, UNC is pushing back on that. There's still optimism around the program that he could play, that he might play. But I, I don't know if you can bank on that as of right now. He's a Kent State transfer, transferred once before that, but that was during COVID. There's like a lot of, we don't need to get down to, to the meat of it. I think he should be able to play, but I digress. Kobe Pesor will have to step up in his absence. The tight ends will have to step up in his absence. So collectively, the receiver core is not quite as good as it was a year ago, which means Drake May might have to be even more accurate, anticipate even better than he did a year ago. The other thing that makes Drake May, Drake May very difficult to defend is, man, he's a dynamic runner. I mean, a really, really dynamic runner. And if you get too aggressive in your pass rush, he'll take off. I think that's maybe his best attribute is that he can really keep you honest in the pass rush and he can really give you a lot of challenges if you want to run man coverage. If your eyes are on the receiver and you're running man coverage and nobody's watching Drake May, he'll torch you. He's done so many, many times. Actually, in conversations with the defensive coordinator over the last few weeks saying, hey, man, we were playing Drake May and he was, you know, Hadn't really played a whole lot. We were in like a two-man. We figured, hey, this big guy probably can't run. Well, it was like third and 20, and he picked up 22. So he's he's that kind of guy with the ball in his hands. The running back position should be improved from a year ago. British Brooks was lost in last year's preseason. He's going to probably step in and be the number one guy, but they have a deep roster of running backs that they might use in a bunch of different ways. So I would expect the run game to improve because if you look at UNC last year, take Drake May, who was the leading rusher, out of it. Their running backs averaged less than four yards a carry last year. Now, that's partly on the running backs. It's also partly on the offensive line, who they expect to be a little bit better here in 2023. Moving over to South Carolina defensively, I think they're really good up front. I think they have some really solid pieces along the defensive line. I think they really have a chance to be pretty disruptive with that group. The problem with South Carolina is that they're thin. Their safeties are excellent, dynamic one-two punch. Their linebackers, I think, are going to be improved. A couple of young guys that got a lot of reps last year in Blanton. They're excited about him. A couple other guys that will be filling into the void. So I think that this group has a chance to be better at all three levels. I think the corners, big question there because you lose some really quality pieces off last year, but they like their young guys. It's just a matter of if they can stay healthy over the course of the season, but naturally it's week one, they're healthy. Let's go to South Carolina offensively. Spencer Rattler's working with a new offensive coordinator, Dowell Logans. Dowell Logans... It has been a perfect addition to the South Carolina team. He brings an NFL experience, a pedigree, and Spencer Rattler, by all accounts, according to those that have watched camp, has had the best camp of his career. Really playing confidently, playing fast, making great decisions, being very accurate. He's got some excellent weapons on the perimeter. Trey Knox transferred over from Arkansas. He was a little banged up in camp, but he's now back ready to roll. And then you have Juice Wells, who might be the best pound-for-pound receiver in the SEC. Little banged up in camp, did miss some time, is going, by all accounts, according to Shane Beamer, is going to try to give it a go this weekend. How much will he go? Who knows? I have no idea. But I do think if he can go the extent of the game, that's a huge coup for the South Carolina passing attack. But they have two other really good ones in Leggett and A.B. Brown. These guys can really play. But having Juice Wells in there would be massive for the comfort level of 
what Spencer Rattler's trying to operate with. The offensive line still a bit of a work in progress, but the defensive line for North Carolina, it's a good group in the front, but they did not get after the quarterback very well last year. They added Amar Gaynor, should help a little bit off the edge. They'd feel better about the progress and the development of some of their edge defenders to be able to bring pressure without having to blitz. So they think they've taken strides in that regard. And if they have, that could be a problem for the inexperienced tackles that South Carolina will run out there. It should be a phenomenal game. Looking forward to seeing whether or not UNC collectively has improved defensively. But by all accounts in camp, people have said it. I got to see it to believe it. People have said they've taken significant strides. Let's go to the biggest game of the weekend. And I don't think I need to necessarily convince everybody of this. To me, Florida State and LSU is by far the best game of the college football weekend. Now, historically, you're talking about two programs that have been some of the best in college football. I mean, Florida State and LSU, there's only five programs with three national titles, three national titles, and countless conference titles in the last three decades. Alabama has seven. Nebraska and Florida each have three. LSU and Florida State each have three. So legit, legit programs. And you think about what these programs have become. I mean, so much of these programs' success have been relying on the portal. Think about Jordan Travis, Jared Verse, Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, uh, Tatum Bethune, Keon Coleman, Jaheim Bell, uh, I mean, Braden Fist, Fentrell Cypress. I mean, these guys are all portal players that are all potential stars for Florida State, but not to be outdone. Florida State gets a lot of credit for this, but LSU also has done a really good job on the portal. Let's think about who they've added. Noah Kane. Jaden Daniels, Makai Wingo, who I think is a sneaky All-American contender this year. Logan Diggs, Aaron Anderson, Jordan Jefferson, o Ovia Gofu from Texas, uh, Omar Spates, uh, you know, Deuce Chestnut. I mean, they've added a bunch of guys. So it's, it's going to be a new-look team with a bunch of guys stepping into the role for the first time. Let's talk LSU offense against Florida State defense first. Jaden Daniels, he's the straw that stirs the drink. Last year, when he played against Florida State, mostly used his athleticism more so than his arm to put forth a pretty good performance in this game. The problem with Jaden Daniels last year is he did get sacked quite a bit. Sacked 43 times last year. That was the third most in the FBS. And now he's going against Jared Verse and Patrick Payton, who are two of the best edge defenders in America. Everyone talks about Verse. Don't forget about number 11, Patrick Payton. This guy can flat out get after you. He's got a lot of twitch off the edge. And last year, Jared Verse had two sacks and six pressures against LSU. So that's something that you need to be mindful of because sacks were a problem for Jaden Daniels last year. He can't hold on to the ball. And when he makes a decision to run, he's got to take off and not try to escape horizontally. Another matchup I can't wait to watch in this game. Malik Neighbors against Fentrell Cypress. Malik Neighbors, so good on curl routes, hook routes, option routes, just a very reliable receiver underneath. Can get behind you for sure, but he's going to make most of his damage underneath there in the slot where he's going to get some favorable matchups. Will they move Fentrell Cypress in to take care of him in a man-to-man -man situation? We'll find out, but if they do, that's one I think a lot of NFL scouts will be salivating on. Fentrell Cypress was a second-team all ACC selection last year, but he's a legit lockdown guy. Did not allow a single touchdown catch and allowed just 26% completion on targets. That was third in the ACC. So this guy can flat out get it done. It's going to be a great matchup on good versus good if those two lock up at some point. A couple other guys I'm looking at in the receiver core for LSU, Brian Thomas and Kyron Lacey, Lacey, both very excited about what they might do this upcoming year. And then we also know that Mason Taylor at tight end, an excellent weapon 
as well. Florida State's defense, they bring back so much. And they bring back so much. 94% of Florida State's defensive production is back. That's the second highest in the FBS. The only one better, replace the F the S with an A, it's FAU. So FSU and FAU, one, two, reverse order, naturally. FAU is number one. They bring back a higher percentage. But they bring back uh, a group that defensively really good against quarterbacks last year. Last year, they gave up just 165 yards a game passing, 56% completion. They gave up a total QBR of 35. That was second best in the ACC. And he's got sacks on 10% of the dropbacks. That's second best in the ACC. So you think about what Florida State did to opposing quarterbacks last year. Jay Daniels has to play really, really well if they're ultimately going to pull off the game against the Seminoles. And you think about Florida State offense against LSU's defense. Jordan Travis, kind of like Jaden Daniels, he's the guy that gets it done. Took huge strides last year, partly because I think his supporting cast improved drastically. His wide receivers and the length that they have at wide receiver is a real problem for opposing defenses. Johnny Wilson, 6'7". He ended the season last year with an eight-catch, 202-yard performance. Not, not, not many people expected him to be back, and here he is and likely could play his way into the first round if he continues to ascend. Then they got a little bit richer when they brought in Keon Coleman, the transfer from Michigan State, who is 6'4". So you have a lot of length on the perimeter. Coleman was sixth in the Big Ten last year, 798 receiving yards. And if he can develop that rapport with Jane, uh, with Jordan Travis, they could really do a lot of special things. I think at tight end, Jaheim Bell is going to be an interesting piece. He comes down from South Carolina. Very versatile player. A guy that can play natural running back. I mean, line him up at running back and got carries last year for South Carolina, but is also really going to be better used as kind of an H-back move around tight end. And I can't wait to see what Mike Norvell is going to do with him. At Trey Benson, at running back, the guy's amazing. I mean, honestly, he's amazing. He was second in college football last year in yards after contact per rush. He had 4.4 yards per contact, yards per rush after contact. So basically, a guy touches him, he's still going to gain four and a half yards. That's insane. That's second best in college football. Uh, can you guess who's first? I'll give you a second just to think about it. Nick Singleton at Penn State was first, which is pretty remarkable because I don't feel like Nick Singleton got touched very often, man. He was just out the gate. So pretty cool to see that stat. And Trey Benson now, another year removed from the knee injury. He's going to be stronger. He's going to be more decisive. He's going to be more comfortable in this scheme and trying to locate. And the one player I think defensively that we really need to focus on for LSU, yes, we've talked about the corners. That is a question mark, but they feel okay with their starting two. The depth, not so much. Mason Smith is out for this game. Uh, he's ineligible for this one game, has to serve a suspension for a ridiculous reason, but I digress. Uh, Makai Wingo, the defensive tackle, already mentioned him. He's a phenomenal player, and he can take over the game there on the interior like he did on multiple occasions last year but it's Harold Perkins. This guy is the ultimate eraser. And knowing that Jordan Travis is a player that wants to move around, that wants to buy time, that wants to create opportunities for his wide receivers as he's on the move and extended broken scramble drill plays, well, the best quarterback spy in the game is Harold Perkins. If you don't believe me, go watch the Arkansas game from last year where he spied the quarterback the entire game and completely took it over. Now, he's also a handful coming off the edge. And he's working against some pretty good tackles, but they're moving him off the ball so he can be more disruptive and be more instinctive. And he's, he's going to be standing next to Omar Spates, who is very steady, very solid. So basically, you know Omar Spates is going to do what he needs to do, which is going to free up Harold Perkins to run around and cause chaos 
all over the place. It's going to be a fascinating matchup. I'm leaning in favor of the Florida State Seminoles right now. I think they have more veteran presence. I think they have more production returning on defense. I think the pieces that departed, they've actually improved in some areas. And I really, really feel strongly about this just being their year. I think they get it done. Uh, I really do. So it's going to be a fascinating watch. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be the game of the weekend, but I'm taking the Seminoles there in Orlando. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. There are a lot of games this weekend that are probably going to be a little one-sided, so instead of going through and doing breakdowns, I figured I'd tell you what I'm looking at first and foremost for some of these matchups. Let's start with the Oregon Ducks. We know they have a great quarterback. We know they have a great rushing offense. We know they have great wide receiver depth. I am really excited about Jerion Dickey, five-star freshman. Be watching him closely. I really want to see the areas to improve. I want to see the pass rush improve a little bit. I want to see him get off the field on third down. Granted, they're doing so against Portland State. Hopefully they can, but that was a little bit of a problem at times last year. Can they be more efficient with third down defense? Ohio State and Indiana. With all due respect to Indiana, my focus is going to be on Ohio State. Uh, I want to see the quarterback. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there, there's a whole lot more I need to say about that. I'm also going to be watching the tackles very closely. And they feel good by all accounts. I mean, transfer San Diego State on the left side, Fryer on the right. They feel pretty good about those guys. But how are they in a pass rush setting? And do they try to create a little bit more balance offensively like we've heard about all offseason? The Texas Longhorns, I want to see a business-like approach, man. They did it last year. They handled their business in the first game of the season. They should light it up offensively. I mean, Rice was 121st in points per game given up last year, allowed 35 points a game just about. So, But I'm going to be probably paying close attention to the running back position, whether it's Jonathan Brooks, C.J. Baxter, anyone else that's going to be filling in that void. We know the biggest question mark for Texas offensively right now is how do you replace B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson? I'll be watching the running backs very closely. I don't necessarily need to see the receivers. I don't need to necessarily see Quinn Ewers because I don't know if they're going to really be rolling out the red carpet with their game plan against Rice. But I will be watching the running backs, how they run. Do they make guys miss? And are they hitting the hole? And how do they do in pass protection too? That'll be another thing I'll be watching very closely with Wisconsin against Buffalo. I just want to see the new offensive identity. Uh, I want to see how comfortable Tanner Mordecai is. I want to see those new weapons. Are they still as committed to the run as they've been in the past? How does Phil Longo balance that? Defensively, I think they'll be rock solid. I'm not sure Buffalo is going to provide a significant test for them. So defense, I'm not sure I'm going to learn as much, but the offensive identity, man, we've all been talking about it all offseason. That will be where my focus is. Let's go to Georgia playing UT Martin. I'll be watching Carson Beck. How accurate is he? Look, we know their receivers are going to create tremendous separation in this game. UT Martin's not going to be able to cover him. We know that. But I'll be watching the top-end accuracy. 
Not does he complete it, but when he does complete it, where is the ball placed? So for instance, NFL level accuracy, if there's a defender that is running towards the receiver on a curl route and he's coming to this shoulder, the right shoulder of the receiver, you can throw the receiver away by hitting the left shoulder. That's NFL level accuracy. When a guy's on the move, you hit him in the face mask so he can continue. He never takes his eyes on the, off the football. So if you hit him in the face mask, that's next level accuracy. In the, in, in the red zone, close to the goal line, there's two areas where you want to throw it. If you're in the back of the end zone, you want to work high. So basically put it right underneath the crossbar of the uprights. That's NFL level accuracy. Let your guys go up and make a play. And if they don't get it, it's incomplete out of the back of the end zone. Or if you're in the front of the end zone, low. So you want to throw it down around the goal line, down around a guy's thighs. You throw it down there so a guy can go trap it underneath and have him just be right there in the end zone. So I want to see the NFL level accuracy that we've heard about all off season from Carson Beck. I'll be watching that very, very closely. For Kansas State, I want to see Trayshawn Ward. Transfer from Florida State. We all know it's going to be hard to replace Deuce Vaughn. We know that they have a couple other guys that will be vying for carries. But I think Trayshawn Ward's a really good fit in that offense. I'll be watching the offensive line as well. They'll be playing Southeast Missouri State. Texas A&M, I'm watching the offensive line. A lot of people you know, be, be focused on the corners, looking at some other spots. The offensive line, you look at New Mexico, they're a little bit disruptive up front defensively. And I think Texas A&M's path to success is not the wideouts necessarily... I don't think it's necessarily quarterback play, not running back, defensive line, sure, to an extent. But I think what held Texas a and back last year was their offensive line's inconsistency. That group, a lot of them are back. A lot of them were good two years ago and not so good last year. What happened? And can they get back to playing a little bit more like they did in 20 and 21? I'll be watching that group from start to finish. Alabama gets Middle Tennessee. I'm watching the quarterback. Whether it's Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner, whoever it is, I'll be watching that group closely. I know they're going to be able to run the ball. I know they're going to be able to move Middle Tennessee off the line of scrimmage. So I want to see the quarterback. Does he make good decisions? Uh, is he smart with the football? Is he willing to tuck it and run? And when he does run, if it's Jalen Milrow, is he high and tight with his ball security? Because that was a little bit of a problem last year. So I will be watching the quarterbacks very closely when Alabama hosts Middle Tennessee. At Oklahoma, I want to see three guys in particular. There's three guys I'm watching. Rondell Bothroyd, transferred from Wake. 2021, he had 16 and a half tackles for loss and seven sacks. Those are the type of guys that need to emerge for Oklahoma there in the front seven, all right? I am very, very interested in watching that front seven collectively, but I'll be focusing very closely on him. I also want to see a couple of freshmen. Uh, now, Jacquez Petaway, people have said he is a burner. <laughs> I mean, just a burner. Just absolutely raving about what he did in camp. He's obviously a, a future star at wide receiver for Oklahoma. He's going to get plenty of looks in this offense. Remember this name, Jacquez, or Jacquez Petaway, and then Peyton Bowen. I'll be watching him as well. Now he's going to be playing some safety and did have, uh, I guess, a pretty good camp. I know he's going to get some time, so I want to see whether or not he can elevate that position as well. And then finally, UCLA. Be careful. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Be careful with Coastal Carolina. Be careful. Now, you hear out of UCLA, they feel great about where they're at. But everybody feels great right now. Right? I mean, everybody feels great until toe meets leather. Be careful. You got Grayson McCall coming in town. You got a new head coach in Tim Beck. But Grayson McCall has, thrown 90, has accounted for 95 career touchdowns. This guy's played a lot of football. 
Uh, he's completes seventy percent of his passes. I mean, he's crafty. He can extend plays. So be careful because if he gets hot, this could be a long day for the Bruins. I'll be watching very closely the quarterback trio. By all accounts, if you listen to Chip Kelly, all three will play. Ethan Garbers will get the first crack at it, but don't be surprised if you see Colin Schley, who's a pretty athletic guy, and then John Dante Moore, the true freshman, very accurate from the pocket. We'll be watching him very closely. New defensive coordinator, Danton Lynn. He's got some really good pieces to rely on. You got the Murphy twins and Liatu Latu. See how he features those guys in the pass rush to make life difficult for Grayson McCall. And then really, I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be watching as far as where they can grow and they gave up 273 passing yards game last year. That was 116th in the country. So they also, you know, we know they're going to be able to run the ball. Like I know that I'm not worried about Carson Steele. I'm not worried about Sturdivant, who, by the way, everyone says is one of the best transfer portal players additions they've made at wide receiver ever. So I think they're going to be fine offensively, but I'm watching the defense, the back end in particular, going against Grayson McCall that can light you up through the air. Is the coverage sound and do they have any bust in the back end? Before we put a bow on this thing, a couple of games I want you to be mindful of on Friday, and then I might give you a couple upsets. So that's why you got to stick around all the way through the show. Might give you a couple upsets that we like. If you want to put a little action on it, that's up to you. And if we're wrong, direct your issues not to the Twitter handle or or the Instagram handle. Direct them to Kubiak by himself. All right, direct it right to him. Uh, Miami and Miami, Ohio versus Florida. Got to be very interested to to watch this game. Partly because I just want to know what Miami's going to be, man. I mean, Lance Gidry. I'll be paying most attention to him. He's going up against Brett Gabbert, who is a pretty experienced player. He's the younger brother of Blaine Gabbert. He was a third-team All-Max selection a year ago, so he's got some game. Lance Gidry, though, is universally respected. He's taken over for Kevin Steele there as the defensive coordinator. They do kind of have a revolving door at corner, so I'll be watching that group pretty closely. But there's a bunch of players that they feel pretty good about. Devontae Brown, Damari Brown, Daryl Porter, Jaden Davis, and Jadeus Richards. So those are the five guys that you'll be seeing kind of out there on the perimeter. I'll be watching that group really closely. And then naturally, how can I not watch what Tyler Van Dyke looks like in Shannon Dawson's offense? They're going to be pushing the ball down the field. I think they have a pretty good rushing attack. The offensive line has been rebuilt in a lot of ways. So anxious to see how this offense operates. Miami's 17 and a half point favorite. Uh, they are a cool 0-2 under Mario Cristobal when favored as a 15-point favorite or more. So just something to take into account. Not a huge sample size there, but Miami has not been great covering a big number. And then Louisville, Georgia Tech. Louisville... Uh, they have three excellent running backs. We, we know that. Uh, Jordan, Turner, Garendo, like they, these guys can go. All right. They are very, very solid. And Jordan last year had 800 plus yards, but the offensive line really needed a big boost. They really needed a big upgrade after spring. And, and Coach Brom even came out and said, man, we, we got to upgrade that talent. Well, they did. They went out and brought five more transfers there in the summer. Uh, the three returning starters from a year ago, they think that they've kind of solidified that group from a depth standpoint, but I'll be watching that group closely. And then Jack Plummer is the transfer from Cal, but has been with Brom in the past, has a good understanding of what they do. And I do think Georgia Tech is going to be better. Haynes King's the starting quarterback there, transfer from Texas A&M, has had some ups and downs, but I think a, I think a new opportunity for him to kind of get away from home. I'm not going to say he's going to be Bo Nix 2.0, but he does have some mobility, does have some athleticism. So if you let him out of the pocket, the guy's a track star. So don't let him get loose if you are Louisville. You know I love Louisville this year, but they are replacing some key pieces in the front defensively. Don't overrush the passer because Haynes King can do most of his damage with his legs. One last thing before I get you out of here. 
two upsets of the weekend. Two. Y'all ready? I think South Florida beats Tulane. Or South South Florida. South Alabama beats Tulane. I think the Jags and Kane Womack had a great year last year. Nobody's talking about them. Everybody's talking about Tulane. I know they bring their quarterback back. I know they bring back some key pieces. I think South Alabama's legit. I really do. I think they can get it done and put the weight of the world. So much pressure on Tulane to repeat last year's performance. Don't be surprised if Kane Womack and co. have a really good showing in week number one. And then finally, the Fresno State Bulldogs. Owners of one of the longest win streaks in America. I think it's the second longest, maybe the third longest. I think Troy's the second. Georgia's the first. Troy's the second. And I'm pretty sure Fresno State's the third. I think they get it done on the road at Purdue. Purdue's a little banged up right now. Mikey Keene transferred from UCF. I think he's going to be really comfortable in this quarterback-centric offense. They still have some good weapons. And Fresno, they love opportunities like this to go show, hey, man, we're not in the Power Five, but we can play with anybody anywhere, anytime. I think Fresno gets it done against Purdue. So South Alabama and Fresno, those are the upset specials of the weekend. If they don't get it done, at least we shot our shot. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for subscribing to the podcast, leaving the reviews that you have. It means the world to us. We're going to keep delivering for you each and every week of the college football season. Check us out, ABC 730 from Charlotte, North Carolina against South Carolina. I'll be on the call alongside Sean McDonough and Molly McGrath. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.